Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoYouConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and today is the Jackie and Jackie special. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Yay! Hello! Both Jackies, Jackie Lipinski and Jackie Eskews. Hello. It was about three years ago today that Andrew gave himself a new nickname, which shall stick forevermore, of the Ad Doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, do either one of you want to give yourself a nickname so we don't have to reference uh, oh, by man. last name or some other? Like <laughs> I, I feel like, well, this is nothing against Andrew. Andrew is the best. I feel like <laughs> you have to earn a nickname. I agree. And so I... I'm waiting. I'm waiting for mine. Hopefully, it's a good one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see what challenge sticks, accepted. We'll figure out what. In fact, that, let's just make that this week's question of the week. Why oh not? God! No. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but I, I agree with you. I remember giving Andrew a hard time when he first was like, "And I'm the ad doctor." And I was like, "What?" You, if you go back and listen to the episode, it I was like, "You can't do that." It, you can't it is give perfect for a nickname. Yeah, but he did breaking yeah. all the rules. Rules are made. I like, I like to call it a power move on Andrew's part. So <laughs> congrats, Andrew. That's right. All right. Well, let's hop into story time. <laughs> and uh, Jackie Lipinski, you want to get Lipinski. started? Yeah. So this week we had a very fun call from a Texas builder. I would say it's probably the most aggressively interesting way that someone is is building a house to make sure that their customers are getting yeah. their house on time. I'm glad you're talking about this and not me because I can't tell the story without <laughs> laughing. And it's not something to really <laughs> laugh about at the same no, time. No, it's, it's, it's just so... I'm it's, so excited. I, <laughs> it's an interesting... It's just such an interesting story. And for any builder who, who's listening, just like... I think this also goes along with Tilson. Like, yeah, we're, you know, like we're, we're doing this and we have to do it. Like, this is another Texas builder, but they're like, this is the only way that we can get our houses done on time. And basically what they're doing is they send out an email to all of their buyers and they're like, Hey, we know you picked your house's brick color. Doesn't matter. You're getting whatever's delivered. And if one, you, you like it, thank you. Great. We're going to just keep rolling Two, If you don't like it, we'll pay to paint it three. If you don't like it, you, you can buy another home. And so that's just the decisions that I think are being having to be made in this incredibly difficult time mm -hmm. to make sure that houses are unscheduled. And because they were also, and we're hearing this across the board, you know, windows delayed, paint delayed, everything is delayed. And so we just have to, they have to get anything up on the wall of that house to, to get it done in time. And so, um, and this hopefully is, people will be forgiving. You know, it's one thing when the elevation wow. is designed for painted brick. So mm -hmm. depending on where you live in the country or, or what market your builder is in Southeast painted brick, more common in some parts of new England, it's become more common when the elevation is definitely like a traditional Texas elevation. And then you add the paint, it doesn't always so my first reaction was like, oh, that's nice because painted brick would definitely be considered an upgrade mm -hmm. in most communities here in central Ohio. But in Texas, I just, and, and, but the point is at the end of the day, most of our builder partners have expressed that they kind of secret, the owners anyway, they secretly like, I can't say this out loud to my team, but totally okay. Canceling anyone because we'll sell the inventory home again I, for 20 to 40 yeah. grand more. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't imagine going through that whole process, though, thinking about from the perspective of I don't the know time I, invested in picking yeah. things and then... Yeah. Obviously, it's your house. And I think a lot of people, just the first impression is extremely important to people, you know, especially a new house. It's, it has bragging rights. And so when you, you, you're you like, uh, 
you hope you don't have to explain every time someone comes to your house and, and, and that, that brick, they forced us, you know, like you hope it's going to look good at the end of the day. And so, yeah, to be determined, I think how, how that happens and, and reaction. And I think the overall story that we also just keep coming back to in general, that builders just need to keep remembering is the customer experience is still very important. And the story and clear conversation of what's going on with them needs to be happening. So just don't forget about your your customer at this time. So I think we'll have to follow that story as it unfolds over the next few months Mm -hmm. to see how I was just trying to pull it up real quick. I don't know if I saw it on LinkedIn or Twitter, but it's now gone. So maybe Mm. maybe my own reaction to it caused someone else to say, we shouldn't post this. But so I threw up this chart either on LinkedIn or Twitter, and it was a survey of 15,000 people who had moved in uh, every month, but they were grouping the data by quarters. And it was a celebratory post about congratulations to the industry because people are currently the happiest they've ever been with their home builder and homes are being delivered at the promised time, according to this data. And my first reaction was like, what is I really? And then I looked and the last data point was Q4 of last year. So, you know, this, this spring or it's still not spring yet, technically, I guess for another, another couple of weeks, but the beginning of this year is when really people started far outselling their coverage in terms of, I mean, it was a great market condition all, ever since April, early April, really, but it just hit another level of people having to do wait lists, priority lists, et cetera. So I, I think there's probably something to the fact that that chart disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, but I, I think this summer is going to be a different, different tale because of that story that you just said about the builder mm-hmm. in Texas. Yeah. Wow. Jackie, you got uh, anything else? See, this is why we need a nickname. Jackie Askews, <laughs> J- J-A. Oh, hey. J-A. J-A, yeah, dude, J-A. So uh, let's see, updates with the house, slow and steady. I feel like that is winning the race right now. Uh, going. You're doing a custom home I on am. your own home site for everyone. Yes, for yeah. those that just, you know, chiming in. Yeah, custom home. And we built in a development about almost four years ago. So this is a night and day experience for us going down this direction with, uh, you know, calling our own, you know, on our own for utilities, the company coming out and uh, the permitting and HOP and all these fun things, you know, all these fun endeavors that we really, moving into a community with a builder, we never really had to deal with or really knew about. It was just already taken care of for us. So we're kind of still in that, uh, we don't have a set uh, breaking ground uh, date just yet. We had our virtual walk through the design center. So as my first experience getting to see things from the virtual perspective, um, that was once becoming from a home builder with, you know, having something in person. It's it's quite a different experience going mm. through somewhere like through the camera and right. you know zoom zoom up on that that the edge of that cabinet so I can <laughs> see the finish edged like it's just you know and uh it made me think about the experience. Are they doing whole. virtual because they can't get you in because of health concerns? Or why why is it virtual? So, is that your choice or theirs? Right now it wasn't offered as a an option to us to come in person. This uh-huh. is just kind of maybe slow and, st- you know, part of the process with, okay, here's what you'd be seeing if you come out. But uh-huh. from what I understand, everything is still going that direction with, we're going to be sent sample packages of all the, which I can't complain. I'm going to have essentially this huge package arrive and 
floor, like hardwood options, like actual things in hand that I can have at home. I have time to sleep on it where I'm not stuck in a four-hour design appointment where I have to make all my decisions right away and then I leave and have that, you know, Kevin, you joked about Melanie that like the option remorse you get where you pick something and then you, you know, backtrack. So this, I feel like is spoiling me in a way to be able to be sent everything, whether it's little pieces of the hardy board options. And I love that. And yeah, getting real samples. We, we did that with garages, garage doors, not with the front door because you, well, we tried, but they didn't have the one that she wanted to see. You all remember that story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hardwood floors, cabinets. There are a lot of, a lot of instances where they could send us additional samples in person, which was nice because we had the time. Right. But for the production builders listening, they don't have the time. And nobody got time for that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it just, it made me think of this experience. You know, I know experience has become like a catch-all term to cover everything in a way. And so with that, there's also the experience where everything that you once could experience in person is now kind of come within your own home. And it made me think about how, as these next couple months move forward, how we start getting that hybrid of in-person and still being able to take a step back. And I just, I'll be curious if things like that, where sending samples out, different things that are happening now, if that luxury is still, you know, people still be choosing that in another year or so. So if the supply demand imbalance continues this way, choices might be something that we talk about, like corded Mm -hmm. phones used to be a thing. And we used to have lots of choices with what went into the home itself. It's crazy. And it's funny, too, because through this process, you know, we signed that that contract in blood, you know, hand over an arm and a leg. And Mm -hmm. it was one of those things where they lock you in for a lot of these, whether it's the... um, the material costs and different things. And, you know, your cost will never go up. And I'm thinking, well, if it goes down, God, you know, if by some miracle, I, you know, I think if anything, oh, that's it, interesting. It is very interesting to think about that. So we'll see, but yeah, things are going. Awesome. Can't wait to hear more. You're also yeah. building in a very, lit, not litigious isn't the right word. There's there, there, it's a hoity toity place you're building. In. Little, they, got a, it, they got a lot of opinions. They, so. they do. They're old school pinky out kind of, um, a little bit of, yeah. Old Man, school. You had to say that, didn't you? That's, that's, I don't, I swear I blame my mother for this, but that's how I drink, uh, coffee <laughs> yeah. or tea or whatever naturally. <laughs> And my wife makes fun of me all. She's like, are, do you think you're like part of the royal family? Why are you doing that? That's the most unattractive, unmale <laughs> thing I've ever seen anyone do in my life. Kevin, you need to cross your, your legs, you know, it's the, uh, the knee at that point. So much stress. <laughs> I, every time I catch myself doing it, my kids even make fun of me now. But that's, oh, that's and I, it's one of those things moving into a, a township like that. I like want to have a disclaimer. Be like, I promise, I'm not like that. Like, it's not. It's <laughs> I've been hard I'm to... <laughs> watching too many period dramas on Netflix during the Seriously? pandemic with my wife. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I've done it so. all my life, so I can't really blame that. Well, my my story <laughs> is, um, I had a call with with a, a VP of sales who was expressing frustration with the CRM system that they were using. We don't need to name names because it doesn't matter in this case at all. Because the story is, this person is a VP of sales for a smaller builder in terms of total volume, semi-custom, custom. Also kind of a partial OSC. They're the first point of contact for all inbound leads that aren't for a specific individual on the team. Also partial marketing manager. And in this marketplace, trying to do all of those things, right? Like, yeah. 
it could be blamed on the CRM if you were getting, you know, five to 10 new leads a week and you were having a hard time using the CRM properly to keep track of it. But you're talking about multiple roles, not just of the job itself, but multiple roles of how you would use a CRM system that you're like, mm. in one hand, you're trying to, to manage other salespeople who are using the CRM, making sure they're doing it properly. A lot of times online salespeople kind of babysit the sales process in that sense of like, hey, you forgot to follow up with that lead I sent you. And as a sales manager, that even shows up more. And it's like, look, this is not, don't don't get distracted and try to blame the tool when the the systemic issue is much, much larger. In this case, you're in the best housing market of all time. You're trying to do two and a half or three jobs and you're trying to use the CRM to make that manageable. It's not going to be manageable when you're getting you know, when you're used to getting five to 10 and now you're getting, you know, 35 to 40 new leads a week, plus mm. all those other, other roles that you're trying to do. Also actively selling as a salesperson in certain instances. So just don't, don't blame the tool when there's bigger issues. There it was, it was just kind of my first, first mini story. And then the other one is I, I got two, again, the, I think the market conditions are driving this. Everyone who's ever thought about selling or making a product for home builders has decided now is the time to do it. <laughs> and so I got two different people who reached out to me, both with a similar message, which I just find concerning. And and this might just be something that I got to get over because it's how the world works. But everyone has a bias. My bias is as a former uh, marketing director, VP of sales and marketing, division president, market manager. Uh, my bias is that, you know, you should always have the best information possible when making a decision and that we shouldn't look down or treat anyone in any of those positions as uh, we can take advantage of their lack of understanding or lack of information to coerce them into buying a product they don't need or overpaying for a product than what it's really worth. And so both these were like, hey, I've got a new product for builders. Would love your insight. P.S. We also have an affiliate or commission-based program where you can make money on this. Um, and it's like, how good is your product? I mean, certainly there's lots of multi-level marketing things in today's world that are actual good products. But for every one of those good products, there's like 20 things that only get sold because people prey on other people Mm -hmm. because of their relationship or their position as an influencer, those kind of things. And so that's just another warning of uh, there's a lot of, of quote unquote, new innovative things out there. And you're going to hear about them from lots of different places. Um, but we, you just got to be careful that someone isn't just being, you know, there, there is an industry standard or not an industry standard. There is a law that says you're supposed to disclose that. So if we made a video or we invited a guest on our on our podcast and they were essentially a sponsor. They were saying, hey, we'll give you a commission or or some type of revenue relationship based upon our ability to be on the show. Mm -hmm. By law, we're supposed to disclose that. We would disclose that, which by the way, we're never going to do that. So you don't have to know. You can't buy your way on the podcast. <laughs> but that doesn't happen in practice. And, and I, again, I'm not going to say names, but there's people out there who continually promote organizations, but don't disclose financially how they're being compensated or positions that they hold uh, kind of at arm's length with those companies. So just continue to be buyer beware, especially right now, my favorite, uh, knowing that you read that book, Jackie, about um, how to tell mm -hmm. lies with data. Yeah. 
Uh, my favorite is anyone who references how this tool or product caused a builder to have a certain increase in sales over the past year or six months or whatever. It's like, yeah, join the club. Yeah. If you, if you, I also saw someone post something on LinkedIn. It was like a, a beaver dam with a sign on it that said like highest and best offer due by whatever. And it was, it was making fun of the current market conditions and just how everything. So (laughs) I think we should go back to some, I mean, Jackie, a, you always found great homes on Zillow for us. Uh, It'd be Mm -hmm. interesting to revisit some of those or see what, like, I'll come across some that you fall over. I mean, there there's like garbage. Well, it was that one house, like, like or something. The listing photo was of, of the home or shed being set on fire, and then it sold <laughs> oh for God. like a million dollars somewhere in California. Yeah, like right now, I it think would people sell for are three. now having a little bit of the luxury because the demand is so high to have fu- like a little bit of fun. But to your point, I mean, there we we talk about so much with building that trust and anything mm-hmm. that's sponsored or anything in hashtag ad and, you know, knowing someone's being paid to promote it, it's hard that kills, at least for me, when I come across something like that, it, mm-hmm. it taints my trust because I know somebody, if they're getting some kind of payout or anything to promote something, it's hard to know its value. So, yeah. 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 So just saving you all some extra time. If you feel like reaching out to us and asking if we'd like to participate in your affiliate or commission-based referral program, the answer is absolutely not. (laughs) Just don't. It's not a good way to start either when you reach out as a LinkedIn connection of, I would like to find a way to help you make money. Mm. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. Thank you. All right. On to the news. And uh, first up, Google causing the internet to go crazy, which Google is often set to do. Uh, The first article from digiday.com, we will not build alternative identifiers. In a drastic shift, Google will end behavioral targeting, profile building in its ad products. It's not going to do it in its ad products. It's going to do it another way, which is going to be our next news story. But basically, Google is doing what people thought, you know, Facebook should do. But Google was kind of not being given the same attention to the spotlight of privacy concerns and how much did they know and what are they knowing. So at this stage, here's what's been uh, derived. Google will no longer build user level profiles. So some of this concept, we won't go too deep into. You can go obviously and read the articles if you want to get more, more nerdy with it. But user level is essentially individual level, right? So mm-hmm. Jackie Lipinski, user level, uh, do you convert? Not, you know, that would be the corporate level. Mm-hmm. Um, so Google no longer build user level profiles within its ad systems, nor will the company use such data to enable targeting on non-Google sites. That means Google's ad exchange and other services that target ads to web inventory outside Google properties will no longer support any cookie replacement identifiers. So user level tracking they said, we're not going to do it. And we're also not going to build an alternative way of tracking individual users. That's that's the main point of that article. Now, shifting over to our companion article to this one mm-hmm. from EFF.org, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Amazing. Uh, dated March 3rd, Google's flock is a terrible idea. F-L-O-C. That stands for Federated Learning of Cohorts. Huh? Many of you are saying, Fancy. what? what? <laughs> yeah. So, someone actually, if you remember uh, a couple weeks ago, I said, are you, um, if I say the word algorithm, how many of you have to pause and think about what I just meant or don't understand what that means? 
this this is going to be a little bit tricky too if if you if that one was was tough. Federated learning of cohorts is essentially federated learning, meaning um, learning occurring at the browser or device level. So the idea here is Google saying we one, and I don't know if they're actually saying this, but one they have enough data on most of the people alive right now that they're going to be okay. And I think that's the big big picture here is you'll hear people. Um, mostly from the brand side of things, say this is why you need a brand more than ever because if you don't have a brand, then this ad targeting is going to go away and you're going to be stuck with no one knows who you are or knows why you're different. Uh, And so a lot of those voices are saying, see, Google's changing the rules, Facebook's changing the rules, all of your ads are going to get worse, it's going to cost significantly more and there's just, you're not going to be able to target. This is kind of proof that they have no intention of not allowing for targeting to occur. Advertisers and potential buyers will continue to be connected in a more efficient way than they than they generally have been since the dawn of time. But but flock is learning at the at the browser or device level. So essentially algorithms and machine learning placed on the front end on the consumer's device. So like Google Chrome as an example. It doesn't have to have a cookie anymore to identify me. It's just in the moment that I'm looking at something on that on that screen, it's it's taking note and it's adding me to a group of other similar people. That's what cohort means. It means a group. And they're saying that's where the protection from a privacy standpoint is going to come from is because instead of tracking people at the user level, we're going to just group them into all these different cohorts. Or another way to think about it is kind of like the in-market audiences that currently exist. Those are very, very large cohorts of probably hundreds of thousands or millions of people in each one. These cohorts that they're talking about is like groups of a thousand people that are kind of similar. But the, the downside that this article talks about is, you know, Google's privacy pitch is that it'll be better than the world we have today where data brokers and ad tech giants track and profile with impunity. But the flock is kind of a black box. So you can see which cookies are on your device. You can, in many cases, see the types of information. So so watchdog groups can kind of understand what's happening here. The machine learning algorithms, you're not going to see how they're thinking and what they're doing. And that's why this article kind of says, this is is a bad idea. What what the flock is, is kind of their fun way of saying, this is a Mm -hmm. terrible idea because it just gives, at the end of the day, Fewer and fewer organizations will be able to run a flock or to, to use another word that they talk in here, have their own privacy sandbox. Again, go to, go to the article if you want to dive more into both those terms. But it's so complex and uses such, generally speaking, leading edge technology that very few companies will be able to do it. And at the end of the day, that just makes Google and Facebook and these tech giants more and more and more powerful, the more the more walls they can put up around exactly how this works makes other folks who want to be able to sell ad targeting opportunities less effective. So any questions? <laughs> I, my only question is I'd love to meet some of the people in my flock. I mean, just some there of the things go. it's just, that's, you know, but I mean, yeah. 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 At the end, at the end of the day, the tracking is going to continue individual user level tracking is going to be a thing of the past. And also a a more fun way to kind of catch up on some of this, Kirk Williams, who is a guest on our podcast uh, about a year and a half ago, 
he runs a PPC firm, I believe in South Dakota or North Dakota, uh, and a huge Star Wars fan. So incredibly smart and funny. We'll also put a link in the show notes to a YouTube video where he humorously in a five minute video kind of explains what the flock is a privacy sandbox. Uh, and uh, it, it's it's a great way if you just want to understand the bigger concepts of, of what's happening to, to check it all out. All right, moving on to the next one, which is going to, I think, draw some good, fun conversation. Uh, this is from searchengineland.com as part of a, a roundup. But basically, Airbnb's business dropped by 80% at the beginning of the pandemic. So they pulled back all of their marketing spend. And then what happened? Jackie L. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the clarification. Yeah. So what happened after they pulled back their spend is that they were able to get back 95% of their previous traffic levels, which was, wow. was really exciting and exciting, but interesting to, to learn. And, and Kevin and I touched base slightly before this um, podcast to kind of just dive deeper into this. And we were just saying like, you know, do you think that this is going to, inf- someone's going to send this to that, like their marketing director and be like, well, Airbnb was able to do it. We're able to do it. Shut everything down. We're doing fine. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, and that's my fear. That's why I was like, we need to talk about this article because one Airbnb is even in the pandemic, where are you going to go? Airbnb. I don't want to stay at a hotel. I want to be around a lot of people. I'm going to go 10 miles away, stay in a nice place with a hot tub. But also the thing is they have an app. So when you're searching for a vacation spot, you you start somewhere already. And so I think what they've done over the few years is they've collected their acorns for winter of brand recognition and brand content and and their content pieces. And now they're just, you know, reaping the benefits of the hard work they put in early. And so- um, It also doesn't really talk about the fact, like they've returned to 95% of their previous traffic levels. To be clear, Airbnb used to be on a huge trajectory of continual exponential growth in terms of right. even more. So they're saying we cut the we cut the spend and people still kept coming back. And that's really the point is the app was already yeah. installed. If you installed the app, you had probably done a search. You had probably potentially even booked something over the last three years yourself. And so when you talk to yourself or to your significant other and say, do you want to go somewhere? You don't go back to Google and then uh, it's not it's not starting from square one in terms of Mm-hmm. Which service should we use to book that house? You're like, you're just going to go back and open up the account that you already have. So the stickiness yeah. factor it's of what Airbnb yeah. has is is a different thing than a builder for sure. Yeah, it may, makes sense that bounce backs there, mm-hmm. you know, drop and then have it back almost 100%. But it's not growth. So right. if you want to continue to grow, you're going to have to spend money mm-hmm. Airbnb. Yeah. And they did actually on their conference call where you pulled a lot of this data from uh, mm-hmm. Jackie, they even talked about the fact like we're getting ready to kick off a new campaign to try to talk about the benefits of being a host, the person who lists a home on Airbnb and how to be a good host, et cetera. So they're going to continue to market. They're just not going to focus on the logo and the name as much as trying to communicate and and fill different parts of of the process that needs smoothing out. They're really going to focus on, and I think I think we mentioned this earlier, Jackie A, the end-to-end mm-hmm. experience. They're like, we're going to smooth out the whole mm-hmm. process from end to end. And really, what other industries would call this is product marketing, which is which is definitely, it has the word marketing in it. And that's that's part of what needs to be happening right now. And again, if you haven't heard our, our or my perspective on this, it's not that brands aren't important in home building. It's just that compared to the product that you're offering at the at a price point and the location, the brand does not come first. 
if I love, mm-hmm. I always go back to my own builder, Heartland Homes in Pittsburgh. We were the official builder of the Steelers. And there's no mother in Pittsburgh, <laughs> even the most rabid, diehard Pittsburgh fan who is like, I really want my kids to go to school in Mount Lebo. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these are the official builders of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So let's let's pick a neighborhood <laughs> 30 minutes north in Cranberry Township. Yeah. It's just right. not going to yeah. happen. So no matter how much you love the brand, if they don't offer a product, and that's what makes, again, home building so unique in that sense of there is a physical location restriction on that. Yeah. Whereas cars, I mean, if you want to buy the car, we'll deliver it to you. We'll, you can pick it up. You know, clothing and so many of the yeah. other things that you hear about. And- Amazon can't make a cheaper version of your house in your location. So you're safe right now. So Yeah. So so you have to have uh, a certain level of branding at all times. But I guess I guess the two the two extremes of looking at this article are it's one, okay, a CFO or a CEO or division president sends us to the marketing department and says, see, this is proof we can cancel all of our ad spend. I think we all are in agreement. That is incorrect, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Even that is correct. Even Darth Vader agrees with us on that one. So <laughs> the other extreme is, well, this is a dumb, irrelevant example, and we should spend at least the same or more right now because now is the time to build the brand for the next hundred years. And and I think that's also equally wrong. In fact, I still I'm finding myself slowly getting more frustrated with some. There's not very many left. Maybe only two or three of the over 50 builders we work with nationally who have continued to say, I don't really care. Like just keep spending at the same exact level as, as we were in January or July of last year, you know, just keep the budget as is roll the dice, grab all Mm -hmm. we can. And meanwhile, you know, we're having to have extra one-off calls because online sales teams are overwhelmed and customers are frustrated. And obviously the wait list uh, priority list article popularity shows what a, what an issue we have with that right mm-hmm. now. And so if you still, I would say a very healthy number right now is still 25 to 30% less than what you budgeted or less than last year should be an easy one because mm-hmm. organic is still through the roof. And those people are converting at a higher rate anyway, but especially in this market, you know, it, it only takes four or five visitors to get a lead. And it might only take two or three leads to get a sale because of how much demand there is and how little supply. So this is a good one just to talk around because all extremes are certainly wrong, but you got to start taking money off the table from an ad standpoint and putting it in other places to solve other problems, whether Mm -hmm. that's the website itself, the content, Mm -hmm. the end to end process to use the buzzword of the, of the episode. All right. We've got an amazing interview with Amy Connor after the break. So this is going to happen again. We got, we got some more stuff that we're going to have to kick to, to next week for time because uh, it was, it's just an incredibly relevant conversation. I knew I wanted to have Amy on the program for a long time and it finally worked out. But I think you guys, I think, I think everyone is going to enjoy the conversation because um, it, it explains that that you can have, you can arrive at the same perspective, no matter which part of the organization you currently are in marketing, sales, operations, land. There's, if you understand some commonalities there, the empathy for what each side is going through, 
can, can definitely help you find common ground on how you can help each other get through this. Because uh, I guess this is a final story time segment at the end of the first half here. Someone texted me this morning and said, please tell me that all the marketers, even the ones with a lot of experience, feel exhausted right now. <laughs> you know, and, and we, we talk back and forth of absolutely because, you know, we've all been in the pool treading water for over a year and the, the lifeguards have never blown the whistle for, for a mandatory rest period. So we're all just like playing some kind of weird game of chicken, looking at the other people treading water and like, oh, I mean, as long as you drown first, I guess it's okay. And, <laughs> and so you got to have empathy. You got to start thinking larger than than just what your job description says. Uh, and, and marketing has been asked to do a lot over the last year. And, and in a lot of cases, we've been able to successfully do what we've been asked. And so people keep coming back and saying, well, you, you did so good last time with that sprint on getting that, that big problem to take care of. Can you, can you do this one too? Take a deep breath. Uh, we'll, we'll all take a collective deep breath. Take a quick break when we come back. Amy O'Connor from Shore Consulting. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Amy O'Connor on the program. Amy is a key member of the Shore Consulting team, which is world famous, international, internationally well-known as the premier new home uh, consulting group, but also works beyond, I, I'm listening, Mr. Shore, you don't just work with builders, but that is, that is where it all started. And one of my very favorite people, and I have a feeling we're all going to have a lot of fun uh, with today's program. And Amy, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Kevin. It's always great to have a chat with you. So let's start with something a little bit light because this this market is a, is oppressive in its goodness, if I can say that. Uh, and so before we get into the yeah. chaos, throughout from March 2020 through till now, is there anything that the O'Connor household has discovered on streaming media that has gotten you through the past year? Any content that you've consumed from Netflix or Amazon or or podcasts that you're like, that is one shining thing, good thing that came out of, of, of the pandemic period. Yeah. Well, we've always been Netflix people and uh, we doubled down on that through the pandemic. We tried to be puzzle people for a minute <laughs> and realized very quickly that we are not puzzle people. And so we quickly went back to Netflix and felt good about ourselves. Uh, you know, so what haven't we streamed is probably the better question. Uh, you know, we like the classics. We like reintroducing the the kids to, you know, the Karate Kid. It's yeah. still good. Oh. If you haven't watched the Karate Kid, go watch it again. Uh, uh, Jeff, actually, when I was on his podcast, I think drew out of me that that was my first celebrity crush with Elizabeth Shue. So the remake doesn't <laughs> do it for me. You got to have Elizabeth to, to have a good Karate Kid movie. But yeah, love that. So we, true. We did and the same thing, Back girl, to the Future. Yeah. Yeah, and what young girl didn't love Ralph Macchio? I mean, seriously. Still, still <laughs> Until hot. you realize he was really two feet tall. So true until then, until then. But yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a ton of great stuff out there, but we, we like the classics. Yeah, we, we, we were puzzle people for many months and then we transitioned to family game night and there's a, there's a YouTube series, Subway, which is like a spin on Subway, people who work at Subway. I don't, mm -hmm. I'm the old man here. My kids and my wife are all in on this, but they did a spoof about family game night where it just transcends into you know, screaming and punching and why were you, why was he even born? And, you know, <laughs> we hate each other. And so we've had to resort back to puzzles 
uh, in, yes. in recent months because it's just too much competition in the Oakley household. We had the same. I, I will tell you, I highly recommend Monopoly Deal if you have not tried that Ooh. game. It is the better, shorter version of Monopoly because Monopoly always ends in profanity and tears in my house. <laughs> and uh, and Monopoly Deal is a quicker way to get through the game. Super fun. I highly recommend it. Oh, that sounds it. delightful. Yeah. I will definitely check that out. All right, Amy. So we're in the best housing market of all time, the best housing market ever. Uh, what is What does it feel like out there as someone who works with teams on a nonstop basis around the country? It's the best of times, worst of times. Is it just the best of times? Give us a little bit of the pulse of, of what's happening yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of pulses, isn't there? Some people <laughs> yeah. feel like they have no pulse right now. I think some people are like, I'm so, I'm so dead. I'm so exhausted. Uh, you know, I will say, I think it's the best of times and the worst of times. I mean, I think that we're all very grateful for the volume that we are seeing and the buyers that are out there and the people that we're helping. But I think the name of the game right now is margin management. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that builders are not having the full celebratory experience because although they're selling a lot of homes, they're not really necessarily selling them at the margins that they would like to see with rising costs and not only rising, but rapidly changing. You write a contract yeah. at one purchase price. And by the time you build it, that cost is significantly different. And you realize that at the end of it, you built a home for free. And I think that margin management really is the name of the game right now from an operational perspective. And that's not something that necessarily makes warm, fuzzy feelings for salespeople, right? Is that is that not typically the number one concern from a sales, <laughs> yeah. sales process perspective? Yeah, from the online, from, you know, those, those salespeople who are out there sitting in the models, that that's not really necessarily what they're thinking about. Uh, but it is definitely affecting the way they sell. I mean, yeah. they're, you know, they're getting temporary holds until we can get a handle on cost. And, you know, they're, they're constantly having to, you know, every three sales or two sales or whatever it is, you're taking this price increase, you know, so it puts a lot of pressure on them to give that message to the buyer because the buyer sees it as you greedy, greedy builders. You're yeah. doing it again. I mean, it's sort of reminiscent of, you know, back in 06. Yep. And they're seeing is like, we're just taking advantage of people right now. They, they don't necessarily understand the cost pressure that's associated with it. And the salespeople mm -hmm. are left to look at the buyer and try to explain this. It's a tough position. And it's almost like, is there any good thing to say that you're not going to have to walk back or call them uh, tomorrow and be like, hey, everything just changed again. It feels a little bit like, you know, when my wife Melanie says, does this dress look good on me? There's there's no, I mean, the only right answer <laughs> is the, the standard answer of absolutely, honey, it looks amazing. Because right. anything else other than I don't know from uh, what's going to happen next salesperson, there's a good chance it's going to change because, yeah. like you said, the the costs and the market conditions and um, it's it's just a wild, wild ride. Is there anything that that salespeople in particular you feel like are struggling with that they don't need to? Um, sometimes when we work with folks on the marketing side, it's like there tends to be a handful of issues where people have been struggling in silence. And we start talking, we're like, no, that everyone's struggling with that. And there are a few things that people have done to try to make that better, but that's just part of the job. To, I, I don't know if there's any, I'm not looking for quick tips necessarily, but is there something yeah. that someone who doesn't have the advantage of working with Shore Consulting and you and, and Ryan and Jeff, like these are pretty common things that can, that can help them out in this kind of environment. Yeah. I think that what I'm seeing right now that 
quite worries me is that we're going away from relational selling into transactional selling. Mm. Another way to say that is we're deteriorating from those, you know, what's got you thinking about moving? How's your life changing? What do you want to see in a new home? What doesn't work with where you live now? Two, I mean, two congratulations, question, your bid has been accepted. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. Or, you know, or, or just like the buyer comes in and they're like, what do you got? We got this. Do you want to see it? And, and I understand that frenzied approach. I mean, the buyer's coming in with that energy and we're matching that energy. But I think that what we're going to start to see is a deterioration of experience for the buyer. And, you know, those customer satisfaction scores are going to plummet. Listen, getting sales right now is not difficult. Getting happy buyers, that's right. the hard part. Yeah. And how do we do that? Yeah, well, and that leads me to something else that I've been talking around, but this is not my area of professed expertise, is salespeople typically in most organizations only have one benchmark of are you doing your job well or not? Did you did you hit that sales number? And I think that's always been a missed opportunity of if we don't have multiple things that we're tracking as part of that scorecard, to your point, you know, that ne- that probably needs to be the shift from a management perspective of there's more to it than the number. And and you guys have talked about this forever. It's how you play the game, not if you win or lose. Playing the best game possible is what gets you the best results long-term. Yeah. Is there something to that? Are you seeing anyone trying to create different metrics? Because if you're limiting sales uh, and you only have that same metric, you either like, okay, we hit a home run the first day of the month and now we can take the month off or... Yeah, uh, you, you got to give them some other benchmarks to to look yeah. at. I, I know that several of the builders that I work very closely with are eyeing those customer satisfaction scores. And they're looking to see, are we going to start to see some negative trends here? And they're very sensitive to what that's going to mean for the brand long term. I mean, Google reviews are forever. Yeah, And you go online and you read one and it was from five years ago, but it's still painful. And I know that they're very sensitive to, to having that sort of be the word on the street about what it is to work or, or buy a home from this builder. And so, you know, I, I think that they are very cognizant of what does that mean for the front end? What does that mean for transparency and expectation setting? Backlog management has become a big topic of conversation. We're carrying mm-hmm. buyers for longer periods of time and disappointing them along the way with delays and changes. Yep. And, you know, so I think that a measurement that they're looking at right now is, you know, they're, they're checking the temperature of the buyer a little bit more often. How are you doing? How are you feeling? How's your experience? And, and they're trying to make those changes along the way as best they can. To your point, I, I, we, we set an expectation and then unfortunately the game changes. And so we didn't lie. We were telling them the truth at the beginning, but now that's no longer the truth. Yeah. And I think it goes a lot to, does that buyer trust you on the front end? Did we have a relational conversation, not a transactional conversation where I can honestly say, I'm going to tell you something today that's going to be 100% true. And then next week, I'm going to come back and say, I have a new truth for you because the game changed. (laughs) And they have to trust that you are being full with them, that you are really giving them the whole lay of the land. Yep. There's nowhere to hide. Uh, One of the things that uh, Jackie Lipinski just joined our team was with a company called American Classic Homes in Seattle. And they hired a customer service facing person about two years ago, I think. And their whole thing was, you know, if someone gets pregnant during the process, spend money, get them, get them a gift, personalize a shirt, 
get them tickets to their favorite movie. Just at, at their price point and their marketplace, they were you know multiple years ahead of other builders and thinking about this kind of a position. And what they discovered, she said, is it didn't matter what that person did if the home wasn't going to deliver on time or the, like, thank you for that shirt. That was really cool. But when is my house going to be done? <laughs> and that's mm -hmm. the situation again. It, it, this is why I have so much empathy for salespeople is, is some, I guess what we share in marketing and sales is that every other department is constantly like, why can't you just fix this for us? Like mm -hmm. you're, you're customer facing, you're always taking the, the brunt of it. And whether good market, bad markets, like you're, you're, you're stuck in these sometimes seemingly impossible positions and you, and you have to be able to not let that kill your soul. <laughs> or kill the soul of the buyer along the way. Yeah. Both souls need to come out intact at the end of this. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and you're right. And I'll tell you, a lot of that energy is going to come from management. I mean, huh. it all rolls downhill. And if you're standing in front of your sales team, every time you're having a, we, we call them sales rallies, not sales meetings. Yep. And every time you're having that sales rally, I mean, what's the message you're giving off? What's the energy? Because that energy is going to transfer. Whatever management is saying, that's the energy that the salespeople adopt. Whatever they adopt is going to be transferred onto your buyer. So as leadership teams, we got to take some responsibility on this. We got to be doing that mental check-in with the salespeople. Hey, how are you doing? Yeah. Do you need a day off? We'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. and, and some of my really uh, smart builders are figuring out how to get their salespeople a break. We got to check in and see how they're doing and, and give them some of that opportunity to recharge. Yeah. One of the concepts I keep talking about is there are no rest periods. If we were at the public pool, right? No one's blowing the whistle <laughs> saying, everyone yeah. get out of the pool, take a 15 minute break, make right. sure the food digests properly. You know? Yep. And, and so if we all are just treading in the deep end, eventually even the Olympic swimmers, swimmers are going to drown if we don't create our own rest periods for everyone. Absolutely. Key point. And then from the leadership perspective, um, someone, I, I think it was, um, Kevin Weissel from Outhouse mentioned at the beginning of the year that he thought this would be the year that more marketers change the companies they work for mm. than any other year, simply because now you realize that if you work for a company who doesn't value that position, you need to go find a different company. And there seems to be something about keeping your ear to the ground on that from a sales perspective too, where if your leadership is constantly just talking about the market is what drives sales. The market is what drives sales. And essentially saying, it's so easy a cave person could do it. In, in both a good time and a bad time, again, they're just basically saying, well, the market's so good. We're, and, and, and not making tough strategic choices about how many homes do you want to sell? At the beginning of this year, that was really interesting to me, talking to owners of companies on calls and saying, what is the sales goal? And they'd give me a number. And I would say, okay, but what is the like top end of that sales goal? Because normally a builder has the secret goal that's beyond that goal. <laughs> and, yeah. and instead of telling me a number, which in the past they would do, they'd be like, I don't know, well, like whatever we can get. And that was really scary just to say, you know, from a business perspective, how many homes can we build well for customers? How many, uh, you know, how, how can we manage that cost, manage that process? And riding the market is fun on the way up and not so fun on the way down. And yeah. so we, we need leaders to to lead through this process and make some of those tough calls. And then and then one of the other questions, Amy, is how can marketing help in any of this, do you think? Is there anything we can do on the websites, in customer communication, 
supporting people in the CRM, any of that kind of stuff that comes to mind that we could do to make things better? You know, I got to say, I think marketing is essential right now. You know, I know that traditionally people who don't really understand what marketing does, they just think, oh, you just drive traffic. And right now we don't need any of that. So thank you very much. Enjoy your sideline seat and we'll get back to you at a later date. And that's just simply not true. There's so much psychology that goes behind the marketing messages that get put out. And, you know, it's not just driving the traffic, it's driving a mindset. And when your buyers show up, what mindset do you want them to have? Uh How do you want them to be pre-exposed to the experience that they're going to get when they walk through your salesperson's door? I mean, they're making judgments on who you are based on the images, the messaging, the placement, all of these things. And and that is going to be really critical right now. And, you know, I also think that marketing has an opportunity here to communicate transparency. Uh, You know, I think that there's a lot of fear out there with telling buyers what's going on. I was listening to a BDX presentation recently, and I was fascinated. You know, they were talking a little bit about list management and how many communities now are uh, either they're out a lot, so they have a list, or they Uh have temporarily halted sales for a variety of reasons, and now they have a list. And builders have been slow to want to share that list because we want to manage it and we want to put the secret veil over it. And I get it. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts and sharing that can be scary. But BDX was talking about transparency and marketing it is where it's at right now. It's what uh-huh. buyers want. It's what buyers need. Uh, and it's really the next evolution uh, of the way that we're going to communicate. And so they were talking about things like, put your list out there. Let the buyers see where are they? What's happening? What does that mean? And I think that the marketing team is probably the best team to go to to say, yeah, but how do we make this the right message? How do, yeah. we, how do we package that to make sure that it's coming across the way that we want it to come across? Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of things through that process of... Tra- so one, I completely agree on the concept of transparency being incredibly important. We have to find a way to do that using technology or sometimes the old fashioned way still works. Uh, you just need a few more people on the team. And that's one of the, like, you're right. Advertising is not the most important thing we're doing right now. And so we might be able to take some of those funds and get additional people on the team to help do some of these things the old fashioned way, instead of just wishing that there was a, a, a software program that we could install for, you know, a thousand bucks a month that would take care of all this for us. Humans can still do stuff. That's newsflash for, <laughs> for everyone. Chick-fil-A, I keep going back to Chick-fil-A's drive-thru. It's humans with, with 2009 era technology and an iPad that revolutionized the drive-thru fast food experience. Uh, so transparency is incredibly important. And yet I'm also hearing from a lot of builders whose legal teams is concerned that if you give partial transparency to that list, you could be facing a whole lot of equal housing uh, issues and lawsuits of explain to me exactly why my number seven and prove to mm-hmm. me that I am the seventh person and prove to me that those other six people have done everything the same. And, and it's not just because I'm a minority or because you don't think I can qualify, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to go all the way or, or, or you can run into issues, which is, which is an interesting concept to, to unpack. And then I'm, I'm sharing yeah. with, with Amy on the screen, some other like low tech transparency things we can do. This is a, this is a home builder website that I went to. I disguised the information and I posted it in our Facebook group. This is a <laughs> community that on the community map says it is sold out. And then when you go into the community, you can hit buttons that say things such as interested, schedule a showing, exclamation point, apply now, chat with us. There's actually two different ways to chat with them. And you can still ask questions for a community that's sold out. And I think that's just, uh, 
the most stark example I've seen of, like you said, why is marketing, which oftentimes is the hype, hype man or woman for the company of like, get excited, you're going to get a home. Why are we still doing everything as if it's, you know, 2012 on the website? Mm -hmm. It's okay. Another one that I shared with Amy right before we got on was a builder in Austin who the marketing person took it upon themselves. A, a community was sold out and had a new phase coming in the near future and just put language on, on the community page that said temporarily sold out, which we could discuss whether that's the best exact way to say that or not. But then the division president discovered this about a week later and said, are you nuts? We can't do that. No one will ever become a lead or, or try to get on the list if it just says temporarily sold out. <laughs> and they actually had 30 leads in that one week where it still said temporarily sold out. And so that's just, we can't be so fearful about what previous markets were like to not understand the market we're in right now, which is that you can set almost any expectation and the consumers are so driven that you're still going to probably get what you need on the other end. So I, I think you're right on. Marketing can help set the expectation of what this experience is going to look like or just the current state of, of the marketplace. Yeah. Let's live out of our imaginations, not out of our history. I mean, yeah, I think that that yeah, is something that. that we get really, we get caught up in, especially in home building. We've just always done it that way. We've always done it that way. I mean, I've been in you know, home building now for, I don't know, 16, 17 years. And in a lot of ways, I look back and I'm like, still exactly the same. And uh, and so I think that the, the, the market is ripe right now. I mean, the market is telling us that it will try new things. I mean, heck, who would have said a year ago that going full virtual selling works? But now I have a team. In Pennsylvania, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention the, yeah, the name, but sure. I'll give them a show. Okay, uh, Keystone Custom Homes in, in Pennsylvania. We love those guys uh, yay, and gals. we love them. And, you know, they have really embraced this new way of selling. And now 99% of their first visits are virtual. Full Zoom what appointment. You you're talking crazy. This, this is my, my BS indicators going off here. What? I know. Are you serious? No. I'm I would have said the exact same thing, uh, but they have set it up as part of the way it is now done. Their online team is the one who says, when they get the lead in, they say, great, here is what we do. We first start with a Zoom meeting so that we can get to know you, ask you some questions, show us, uh, show you our product. I'll set that up for you now. Not, would you like to do that? I will set that up for you now. Mm -hmm. And so the buyer has confidence that, oh, this must be the way you do it because they are confident that this is the way they are doing it. And their sales team have doubled down in learning the application. They have done a really great job of figuring out how to use Zoom, but yet still create an emotional experience for the buyer. And they're seeing the rewards and the success coming from it. Yeah. And my own experience is the same way. Obviously, we want to see the model home when we can. We, we, mm -hmm. And that's part of, that's like the last gatekeeping thing left of keeping us all in control is you've got to walk by a human being traditionally in order to get to that model. And now you two are entering now and uh, Smart Alloy, Rently, all these other platforms are letting self-touring occur. But in our own experience with, with our builder here in central Ohio, my wife, who is not, I mean, she, I am IT support for our entire household, including, <laughs> including my wife, on somewhat basic items. She loved the Zoom calls more with the architect, with the designers, with the salesperson, because one, you're in the comfort of your own home. You don't have to reschedule your time to have the conversation. <laughs> it's so much more efficient 
to be looking at a screen talking to a designer than than having them come to the kitchen table and just let's have a conversation about what you do and don't why when we can just look at the screen and you can move a wall over and say yeah that looks great and her favorite thing which i haven't heard other people's opinions on this who have gone through the process was to hit mute and to talk about the salesperson and the designer with me in real time while it's happening like she could she could literally be like I don't like that, but I don't want to be mean. Can you, can you say you don't like that? You know, those kind of conversations can happen in an in-person environment. So there is so much now, all of the, all of the haters out there with their hater aid and their hater tots and everything else are like, Amy, but eventually you've got to meet people. And so are you really advancing the sales process or are you just overcomplicating the sales process? What would you say Mm. to those people? Haters going to hate. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to hate? Haters going to hate. But I would say you are meeting them. I agree. I mean, I, I'm like, well, what, what do you mean? I'm not meeting them. I, I, I'm on Zoom. I can see their face. I can talk with them real time. I mean, by what definition am I not meeting them? Uh, you know, so I do think that there are some times right now, and it was funny, I was just with, a, with Mungo Holmes uh, this week doing some sales training. And we truly were talking about right now when we actually don't meet the buyer. What's happening is sometimes they're having the realtor call mm-hmm. and the realtor says, here's what my buyer is looking for. And the salesperson says, that's not at all what we have. And the realtor says, great, we'll take it. Send us the contract. <laughs> and, uh, and so all of a sudden, right, we've sent this contract. We get, a, we get an executed purchase agreement. We haven't said one word to the buyer. And actually, a part of our training with, the, with Mungo this week was to say, no, no, no. If you just think you got off the hook by skipping discovery, that is not the case. And we actually talked about going back and transitioning mm. and introducing ourselves to the buyer and saying, let me catch up on what happened here. Yeah. Why were you buying in the first place? And so, you know, I think that, you know, this idea of meeting people, we got we to gotta change the way we're defining that. Meeting people could be at different points of the conversation at this point. It could be under different circumstances, yeah. different platforms. Whenever the customer feels the need or desire to ask for that or request yeah. it, you should, you should, you shouldn't, you know, necessarily say, no, 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 no. We only do it this way. Yeah. But you let the customer. So I think one of the things that non-salespeople might also question is the people who say that you have to meet in person, are those just the control freaks in our lives? Like if we ha- if we see them in person, we can do like crazy things like give them a hot cup of coffee so they can't leave until the <laughs> coffee's done or these weird, like we're going to trap them. You know, we still, do we still use that? I, I'm talking to myself oh, here, yeah. but like the, the model home trap. Let's yeah. stop calling them a trap. What the, f- <laughs> this is 2021. Yeah. yeah. Let's totally stop calling it a I trap. I think they'll put it's you so in prison true. if you trap people. Now. I think I'm it is. Sure. I think it might be considered kidnapping actually, now yeah. that I think about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think what it is, is, you know, people have had success doing things one way and change is scary. What if I try it and it doesn't work? And, you know, right now the, the market while high volume is very delicate in a lot of ways. And so I think that there is some fear of that, but again, we're having other people who are getting, getting out in front of this. And what's quickly going to happen is if you're not making some of these changes and adaptations, you're simply going to be left behind. And at some point, catching up, you're going to just be too far back. Completely agree. That, that's what, There's things that we don't need to be doing right now. For example, buy online, reserve online. It's a crazy enough world. 
We don't necessarily need to go faster and crazier when we're already stressed out and concerned. Like, but we do need to be prepping for that and testing in the background. Uh, I've used the bad analogy of it's like developing a nuclear weapon you hope you don't have to use as a deterrent. You just, but if, if you don't have it when the market changes and everyone else does offer another feature like reserve or buy online, you're going to want to have that ready to go. Okay, let's shift to um, something that's a little bit on the scary end. <laughs> uh, what do you think is going to happen when the market turns? What's the, what are the skills, like you said, if we're going more transactional and, and customer service oriented right now, what's the skill set that you're most concerned that, that salespeople might lose if they don't flex on a regular basis going into the downturn? Is there a part of your four, two formula process that you've, you think people might be leaving by the wayside? Uh, yes, absolutely. And it's not a sexy answer. Uh, but what I'm seeing people leave behind are basic discovery skills and basic closing skills. It's just ones that we are not having to use right now to get the sale. And, you know, there's the law of least effort that says I will expend as little energy on any one thing as absolutely necessary. So if I don't, if I'm not forced to do it, then I tend not to do it. Uh, and so I think that once the market shifts, those people who have to go back and remember how to connect with the buyer emotionally and how to ask closing questions, it, it's going to take them a minute. Now they'll get back to it, but at that point, they've already lost a, a, a lot of those incremental sales to the competition. Yep. You know, so I, it's not a sexy answer, but I think it's going to be the basics. And I'll tell you, market in and market out. When a market shifts, the salespeople who sell the most are the people who know about financing and how to talk about it. Oh, that's a really good one. That 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 is a sexy part of your answer. But I'll tell you, I I'm not sure why I, I agreed to do this. But a builder asked me to help them interview some salespeople, which we don't do at You Convert. Like I, next time, <laughs> I'm telling you no. If you ask me that, but they're like, can you just do me a favor, smaller builder? And I interviewed three salespeople, and two of the three, I mean, I'm not an extrovert naturally anyway, so this is kind of strange coming out of my mouth. But two of the three made me want to fall asleep. Like they're just, there was no energy, there was no passion. And, and I, it's interesting. You talk about the importance of virtual now in my mind in the past, I would have been like, well, but maybe they were nervous being on zoom with me. Maybe they were uncomfortable with technology. They couldn't get their mic to work and that threw them off. That's kind of not a thing that you can ignore anymore. If you mm -hmm. can't hop on a call with someone and quickly get rapport and, and build emotional energy towards momentum, you're in trouble. You're not going to get a pass on it anymore. I'll quote Jeff. Sure. Jeff always says, you know, the worst thing you can say about a salesperson is that they grow on you. <laughs> <laughs> right. We, we don't give people the time to grow on us. And there was actually a Princeton study that was done that was trying to figure out how quickly do we decide whether or not we like someone. And the answer is one tenth of a second in one, which is a blink of an eye. In one tenth of a second, we decide whether or not we like someone. And, you know, marketers know this really well right now. I mean, they've gone to the micro commercial because we don't even have enough attention span to watch a normal link commercial anymore. Right. And, right. Uh, and yeah, I mean, so if, the, if that salesperson can't connect and can't connect quickly and they can't do it in a virtual environment. I think that's. Yeah, it's yeah, already a, a no go. That is awesome. I mean, I, I, I totally appreciate Jeff's joke. And yet I can think of people that I've interacted with who at the beginning, I'm kind of like, I'm not sure about this salesperson, but because of their ability to do what they say they're going to do, 
and, and be conscientious and to educate and to be transparent over time, they're overcoming that lack of energy, but that might not, that might not work the next time this, this all goes the other direction in terms of the market conditions. Hm. It's not who I would hire for my team. All right. Well, that, that's going to do it for this episode. Amy, I had a blast. Thank you for coming on. We shouldn't wait three years to have you back on. I'm, I'm we definitely positive. shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. You're the best. You bet. We'll see you. Thanks. And we're back. That was the fastest hour of my life sitting down with Amy and having that talk. Um, one of my favorite people in the industry, incredibly insightful and again, empathetic, but also says, no, this is what we need to do. This is the way forward and, and just a lot of good takeaways. And especially the importance to me, I've thought about this ever since her and I talked actually, um, both Jackie's is that the ability for a salesperson in today's world to need to be able to connect with someone virtually, either through a webcam, through a phone call, through a text message, to create a relationship is incredibly important. And the type of salesperson who would slowly over time build credibility and trust, but when you first meet them, you're kind of like, I don't know if I'm really feeling this relationship here that was being developed. You guys ever been in that situation where mm -hmm. you're like, yep. okay, they've won me over with their you know, knowledge and they're, they do what they say they're going to do, but they just, they kind of rub me the wrong way. Or I, I'm mm -hmm. not sure that I would choose to, to hang out with this person if I would be coffee worthy or they would be coffee worthy in that situation. Now, like you have to be able to make that instant connection and feel comfortable with technology enough where, where you can be yourself. Uh, anyway. All right. Let's move on to the answers to last week's question of the week, which was Jackie. So last week's question was, have you made any changes to your website to give more transparency on pricing, availability, or sales process changes? And 98% now, we did a little quick sneak preview on the last episode. Now that the votes are in, it looks like 98% of you said either yes, you already have or not yet, but likely soon. Uh, one person <laughs> said, no, we have no plan to do it. And uh, Laura OMB voted that she's just going to wait until her new site launches so she can actually make those kind of changes. So that I, I think that essentially makes it 99% said mm -hmm. either yes or, or yes uh, very soon. And what's interesting too, as a reminder, those don't all have to be, we're sold out, go away, don't, don't become a lead. In some cases, the need for those types of that, that type of transparency is yes, we do have homes. Right. So there's, there's mm -hmm. both the good and the, yeah. I guess in air quotes, bad of, of that transparency as well. And Sarah Titus teased us all by saying she's dedicating an entire page to it, getting the design draft today and we'll share here once it's live. So we should ping her. Well, <laughs> I, it's not live yet, I huh? guess if she hasn't shared it, yeah. but if you're part of the Facebook group, you'll, you'll be one of the first to be able to check that out. And remember, Sarah's the one who made the content hub for their design studio process that we, that we love so much. All right. This week's question of the week to, uh, to Jackie Lipinski's. Oh no. Yeah. I don't, she doesn't know how to feel about this. And I've got a new sound effect for the question of the week that I will use as I say it. So what should Jackie Lipinski's nickname be? If you don't know Jackie, go back and listen to the episode that we we did with her. We'll have to drop that in the show notes, Jackie. Um, 
where you can hear her, what, what her superpowers are and, and what, what makes her tick, but we need a, we need a new nickname for, for Jackie. Oh, I got to start thinking about this too. Are we doing like an open-ended people just type it in? Well, yeah, absolutely. You can type Ooh, it in and then like what, maybe what we'll do is also just give people some different ones to vote off of based not on what I choose, but I'll ping some of Jackie's closest allies and, uh, and let them give us a place. She's shaking her head and turning <laughs> bright red, bright red. At this moment. I, you know, it's, <laughs> Which it's is great. I, I'll just take a quick screenshot here and we'll add that oh, to yeah. the post. No, I'm just kidding. Perfect. Yeah. I was just telling Kevin, I used to win awards and and this, you know, and it's like, they're like, oh, come on stage. I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm this like person who You're I are very love, humble. You're so I'm humble. I'm very, thank you. Yeah. I love doing what I do and I, I do it passionately. And then, but to get recognized, it's so, I, I just feel so odd where it's just like, no, I just love doing these things like aggressively. So, um, so. <laughs> but all right. Well, looking forward to it. Yeah. It'll be a good time. All right. That'll do it for this week. I will not be in next week. I get my uh, second dose of the vaccine and it's my 40th birthday. So oh, uh, speaking of birthdays, oh, it is yeah. Jackie it's my Lipinski's birthday. birthday today. I have to do a I shout forgot. out. Happy birthday. Happy Thank birthday you. indeed. Yes. The only person I've ever known who's gotten a birthday cake delivered to them via backpack. Twice. <laughs> that was my second. And I don't know if we talked about backpack. that. You're, you That's are a big amazing. hiker. Your goal is to visit all of the national parks. Yep. Right. Yep. I, I think I've hit uh, 15, 16 national parks. And how many are there in total? So far? Uh, I think we just added one this year. I, I want to say in the 60s, low 60s okay. national wow. parks. So it's, I got, there's like and seven in Alaska. I need to hit in like a summer. Also, she's still a child, by the way, everyone. Um, yeah. She, she's the same <laughs> so, age as Andrew and um, someone else on our team. Who else is the same age? Jackie. Jackie asked oh, you. Yeah. So we're you, we're buddies. Same exact all, age. We're buddies. Yeah, this this yes. is how you stay young is you just... <laughs> accidentally hire people who are eight years younger than you. <laughs> All right, if needs, do... I was going to say, if anyone needs to do the math, that's 32. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. I'm also, we should have put this in the new segment. We're doing a webinar with uh, ECI on Beyond Advertising, Why Marketing Matters Now More Than Ever. But by the time this episode comes out, I think it's already happened. But you can go back and get the recording. All right, guys. All right. We'll see you next week. See, see ya. Bye. Bye.